May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In the past, when I stood before a group of people to speak, it was, it was on subjects such as signs and symptoms of heart disease. I taught other nurses, families, and patients about open heart surgery, what to expect, techniques, and procedures. I wrote articles such as the effects of long-term ventilation on the critically ill patient. All of these subjects were and are fact and science-based. The techniques and the procedures may improve and change over time. But the basic science of why and how will not. I went to textbooks and other primary sources for my information, and all were in agreement. I wouldn't have to read multiple sources to understand the basic facts. Scientific articles and textbooks would back up whatever it was that I said or what I wrote. It wasn't open to speculation or different interpretation. Someone might argue with my delivery, but no one could argue with what it was that I said. So here I stand today, and I have to preach on the Gospel of John. And John is not exactly a straightforward gospel. It's complex, it's multi-layered, and it's wildly open to different interpretations. And the gospel lesson today includes arguably one of the most well-known Bible verses ever. John 3.16, to be exact. Just the numbers, 3.16, can be found on bumper stickers, on signs held up at various sporting events, and it's even on the eye black of certain football players. There are books called The 316 Promise and The 316 Hope. Some say that John 316 encapsulates what Christianity is. Martin Luther called it the gospel in miniature. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. So I grew up with this text that was interpreted with the clear message that God had a wonderful plan for me as long as I believed in Jesus. I could behave pretty badly. I could live a perfectly awful life, but it was all good. I was still going to get to heaven and have eternal life. But if you didn't believe in Jesus, you could be Gandhi or a Mother Teresa, and you were flat out of luck. There was no eternal life for you. This message, message that I grew up with, it, it sought to exclude 
rather than include. And that is really a shame. For this passage proclaims God's love for all of creation and all of humanity, and not just for a select few. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. In Greek, belief can be sometimes translated, have faith. It means to be in a God-initiated relationship with our spirits, even if it's something we may not be aware of. It's shown by our actions and how we live our lives, not necessarily by what we think about God. It's probably better translated as a deep trust, a trust in God that enables us to live in a way that every day we can make a difference. Eternal has its roots meaning ages. It means without beginning, without end. It has nothing to do with the afterlife. What Jesus calls eternal life, the Hebrew Bible calls shalom, or peace. But it's a peace that's more of an absence of tension. It's a rich, multi-hued word that speaks to God's vision of a just world for all of creation. This passage has never been about who is in and who is out. And God's love for everyone has never been in question. What is in question is what are we going to do about it? How do we respond to this gift? Today's gospel is a continuation of a conversation with Nicodemus, a Pharisee who came to Jesus under cover of darkness, as it says in the gospels, about the signs he was doing. And Jesus' response is that to see the kingdom of God, that even he, Nicodemus, a Pharisee and a leader, must literally be born anew. Another phrase that's open to interpretation. But what Jesus was talking about was a reorienting of how we live, about a radical change of how we live our lives. And that is still the conversation today. For God so loved the world. So it would be very easy at this point to throw our hands up and ask, what are we supposed to do when we are living in a time and place where world leaders routinely have taken to describing the world in terms of good and evil? Leaders who can justify any act of war or terrorism because we are good and they are bad. Our own national government can't manage to get along with each other and work together for the common good. Our local government applauds and approves budgets that will hurt the sick, the poor, 
families and public education while giving huge tax breaks to wealthy corporations. We fail to address the issues of racism and sexism and violence against others and other systemic issues that plague our society. We are busy destroying God's creation through our policies, and some politicians pretend that if we simply cease to use the words, the problem will magically disappear. As a society, we continue to neglect those dealing with mental illness and with addictions, and rather than address the myriad social conditions, we simply build more prisons. For God so loved the world. So over a hundred years ago, a London newspaper asked several well-known public figures to write essays on the topic, What's Wrong with the World? G.K. Chesterton, a well-known author and journalist, was one of the public figures that was asked to contribute and submit his ideas for fixing the world's problems. His response was one word. What's wrong with the world? Me. Others wrote about poverty and economics, war and peace, sickness and in health. Each had an idea on how to go about fixing what was wrong with the world. The responses were intelligent. They were well thought out. They dealt with programs and plans that would redistribute wealth and income, enact legislation, develop mechanisms or tools, and reform the education system. All had very good ideas. And enacting any of their suggestions would have helped. Some could have made significant changes that had the potential to address the issues of their time. Eugene Peterson, who wrote this reflection, tells us what's missing from their response was the personal. None addressed the core wrong. The man or woman through ignorance or willfulness to deal relationally and responsibly with what is right in the world, namely God. We have a choice. We have always had the choice to live in relationship and responsibility with one another and with God. And when we don't, it's apparent that there is something wrong in the world and it needs fixing. And somewhere in that wrong is me. That's the place to start doing something about what's wrong in the world. A Jewish journalist in a London newspaper article argued that the Bible does not give us easy answers, but reality because it recognizes that at the end of the day, the only thing that can truly heal and console us is not the voice of consolation, but the voice of reality. 
That's the way the world is, it says. It's neither fair nor equitable. So what are you going to do about it? The writer was probably thinking about the Jewish concept of tikkum olam, which is literally translated into repairing the world. Observant Jews are required to participate with God in the repairing and restoring the world to what God had intended for all of us from creation. So every day, you and I can choose to make a difference in the world. We can make a difference by how we treat each other, whatever the other's race, religion, skin color, or gender. We can make a difference in our communities by advocating for those who are oppressed or marginalized or are outsiders. We can vote to ensure that our voices are heard by the leaders of our government, that our voices are loud and clear, that we do care about the poor, our children, the disenfranchised, and our environment. We can choose to speak up or remain silent when we witness acts of oppression or hear words that stir up fear and hatred of the other. Lent is a time we are invited into a journey of discovery to learn about ourselves and about our relationship with God. It's a time of deep hope and infinite possibilities. It's the perfect time to consider our response to Jesus. Jesus came to save the world, bringing a new way of life. But his coming requires a decision. Will we follow Jesus? Or will we choose to live in the darkness? Do we choose to change the messages of exclusion to messages of inclusion? Do we choose to live in a right relationship and responsibility with one another and with God? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, though that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. It's decision time. Do we reach out and embrace this gift of incredible love and trust that has been so freely given. The choice is ours. It's always been ours. For God so loved the world. Amen.